So I'm honored to read Acts 5, verses 17 through 26. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. <laughs> now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Thank you, Rick. You may be seated. I want you to imagine for a moment the following scenario. You've got a police officer, city police officer, freshly minted rookie city police officer, charged with patrolling the streets. Upon patrolling the streets, comes across a, a, an automobile that's going way too fast through the city and weaving all over the road. The, uh, the officer dutifully captures the speed, which is excessive, on his radar gun and notices several patterns, captures it on dash cam of weaving wildly all over the road very dangerously. Turns on his uh, sirens and lights, pulls the, executes a flawless textbook traffic stop, walks up to the vehicle, and behind the wheel is the city mayor. This is hypothetical. Mayor rolls down the window and they have an exchange, license and registration. Now in that moment, if you know anything about city government, Here's what you may not know. This officer is newly minted on the force, rookie. And the mayor is likely representing this person's boss's boss, or maybe even boss's boss's boss, something. He's higher in the food chain, the mayor. Higher in the food chain. In that moment, there's tension. Because the mayor, if the mayor submits to the authority which the officer does have to patrol the streets, to protect and serve, to keep the people safe, to execute the law, that mayor's life is about to change drastically, right? Public record, arrest, scandal, perhaps stepping down from, from his job. And so the, office, the, uh, the mayor has really two options, to humbly submit to the authority of the officer or perhaps maybe to mouth the following words 
son, do you know who I am? Do you really do? Do you really want to do what you're about to do? For if you do what you are about, I think, to do, I have some pull in your department and I can, I can make things happen. See the tension? The officer, this freshly minted rookie officer, is thinking, I may lose my job if I take the if I do what I'm supposed to do and take the mayor to jail. But the mayor knows that if he follows the law according to the way it should be followed, he could lose his job as well. There's tension there. I want you to bring that tension with you to the text that we have today because this text is largely, I think, going to show us that we're going to see in this text a lot about authority. And let's just talk for a minute about authority because I think that authority gets a bad rap in our culture today. And here's why. Authority, really, at its core, I know you can look up the library, the library, the, the uh, dictionary definition, fine. But at its core, hum, human beings, we arrange ourselves into groups. There's, we arrange ourselves into churches, we arrange ourselves into clubs, we arrange ourselves into cities, states, nations, countries. We arrange ourselves into these organizations. And it's difficult, once, once a group gets so big, you know, maybe past five, <laughs> it's difficult to, um, you know, make decisions for the whole group by voting on everything or discussing everything. And so what do we do? We, we call upon people and we invest in those people our author- some authority to make some decisions and to, do, to, and to act on behalf of the, of the entire group. And so what works best in authority is if, if the person, if the people, the, the people underneath that authority respect that authority, if the person in authority lives his or her life as a servant, simply and fairly uh, making the decisions and meeting out, the, you know, enforcing the rules that the group has decided upon the people, right? That's, that's what works the best. The leader is a servant, the, the person in authority is a servant, and the other folks are respecting that authority. But we live in a sin-cursed world, right? We live in a sin-cursed world, and, and today when we often think about authority, we, we don't always think about it with a good connotation. We don't, we don't often think it as a helpful thing. In fact, oftentimes we think about authority as being power-hungry and controlling, and instead of trying to serve the people underneath the authority, it's trying to change or manipulate or control the people under authority. We, when we read passages like Romans 13 and we read about submitting to human government, in that passage it talks about that the design of government, at least in God's economy, is to, for, for the government to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good, even imbuing upon the government, human government, the power of the sword. That's the way it's supposed to work. And in our text today, we're going to see the apostles, the ones that Jesus sent to be his witnesses on the earth, coming into contact with authority. And we're going to see how that goes. So here's what we're really getting after today, the question that we're trying to answer. How does Acts 5, 12 through 42, uh, Rick read just a portion of the whole passage, but how does this passage help us to understand how we as Christians should relate to people in authority? And boy, is this passage relevant for today. Amen? 
Uh, I love to preach three books of the Bible because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring us into contact with stuff that's really helpful to us today. So, let's get into the text. First thing that we're going to see in the text is that the early church had momentum. It had momentum. Let's read uh, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's talk about this. The, the early church had momentum. First of all, we see supernatural happenings going on. Supernatural happenings. Now, I want to take your attention back to Acts chapter 2. So you can flip back in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Here in Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he's going to, make a, he's going to quote a passage from the book of Joel. Joel was an Old Testament prophet. Joel uh, uh, spoke often about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, uh, and that day of the Lord being a day of wrath, right? But look what he says. Uh, Peter quoted, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He quoted that prophecy now, let me, let me connect that prophecy uh, to what I think we're seeing here in this text with these signs and wonders. Israel was originally, uh, Israel was God's people. He, he called Abraham, and later he called uh, Israel out of Egypt. And as they left Egypt, they went into the wilderness, and God gave them the law. Basically, the way I think about the Old Testament law, it was it was a constitution for a theocracy for Israel, a, a, a people that were of the same religion uh, and, and how they were going to govern themselves civilly uh, as a people. And God gave them this and asked them to follow it. Later on, Israel asked for a king and God allowed them to have a king as well. And you know, just a test question for everybody today. Israel, over time, followed the law of God flawlessly. True or false? False, right? Israel had all kinds of problems, from corrupt kings to worshiping idols to um, the rich oppressing the poor. I mean, they had all kinds of problems, but not the least of which is giving themselves over to false gods. They had all kinds of problems. And so by the time we get to Jesus' day, Israel is just a hollowed-out shell of what it used to be, the Sanhedrin, this, this council of 
Pharisees and Sadducees that gather to make decisions on religious and civil matters is kind of the only leftover vestige of the kingdom of Israel. And even they, when they want to punish someone with capital punishment, they have to go seek the Romans' permission to do that. So it's just a hollow, kind of a hollowed-out shell of what it used to be. Jesus, in the meantime, had arrived on the scene. He had offered the kingdom, and they had refused him. They had rejected him. They had crucified him. And, of course, on the third day he rose and is now at the right hand of the Father. Now God is doing, uh, through these apostles of Jesus, he's, he's doing something that we call the new covenant or the church age. He's, he's opening the door of salvation to all who would trust in the name of Jesus. And how he makes that transition, how God ordains that trans, transition to take place here in the book of Acts is spoken about in that prophet Joel, pour out my spirit on all flesh and signs and wonders. And that's what we see here. How do you take a people that are steeped in this old covenant religion, this old Old Testament religion, and how do you help them to see that Jesus has come and that he's laying out something new? Well, as a judgment upon Israel and as a validation of who these disciples are, who these apostles are, that they are truly men of God, he's allowing them, temporarily I believe, to have these gifts of healing and signs and wonders. We read about speaking in tongues. God is at work. These supernatural things are validation that God has placed His message in the mouth of these apostles. They are His people. They also had boldness. This was a subversive movement, folks. This was a subversive movement. The text says, none of the, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Why? Why was this such a problem? Because, you know... As we exist here on the earth today, as we exist right now, let's just say in the Christian church, you all understand, right, that there are folks that take a very, we're just going to read the Bible and try to figure out what it means approach to life. And, and we have a God who, who has described himself in God's word. And then there are other folks who, who have abandoned God's word and kind of come up with a God of their own making, but still claim to be Christians. You realize that this landscape exists, right? Yeah, you do. I hope you do, because it does. Well, here you have uh, these two groups of people, the, the apostles, right, who take Jesus at his word and are trying to proclaim uh, his teachings on the earth. And then you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees that claim to believe in God, but don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And so there's conflict. There's tension between these two groups. And, and the, the apostles are a, a subversive movement. They're attempting to come and bring a message that's going to overturn the old way. When I think of, uh, when I think of a subversive movement, I think of uh, Tesla, right? The automaker Tesla. I remember years and years ago when Tesla was just getting off the ground, you know, the big three automakers, Ford, GM, Chrysler, I don't know if you want to throw Toyota, Honda, whoever you like, I'm not partial. But the big automakers looked at Tesla and went, well, that's cute electric cars. You do realize, right, that we have gas stations all over the place, and you, you don't have these charging ports anywhere, and this is never going to work, and these cars are going to be ugly, and they're going to be heavy, and they're gonna, only going to go a few miles before they run out of juice. It's cute. 
Good job, Elon. You know, when I come to school in the morning, I, I see two or three of these things pulling in and out of the parking lot. The people that drive them love them. But good luck getting our current uh, political administration to even acknowledge that they exist, right? They won't talk about them. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This just kind of reminds me of that. Why? Why won't the religious leaders, why won't the Pharisees and the Sadducees at least come out and have a conversation with the apostles? I don't know. Maybe because of Ananias and Sapphira? I don't know. That's just speculation. Probably because of their position. Probably because of the authority that they possess. They can't, they, in their minds, they can't be seen with these renegade apostles. But the people, the people love them. They're preaching truth. They are healing people. They come with signs and wonders. Their boldness also extends to their location. They're, pre they're doing all this work. The text says that they're operating in Solomon's portico, which is part of the temple complex, right? It's part of the temple complex. In other words, uh, this is kind of a busy picture. I put a box around it. Solomon's portico is kind of a, a porch area before you get into the temple that has a, a roof and columns supporting that roof and probably open sides or open-ish sides. And people would go in there and teach and hear teaching and things like that. But the, the important thing about Solomon's portico is it's like right on the front doorstep of the temple, which is the central place of religious worship for the Jews. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't think I'm over-exaggerating. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it'd be like us saying in this room, you know what? The government of the United States really isn't working for us anymore. Let's form a new government and let's have our first meeting on the steps of the Capitol. Not going to go over too well these days, is it? But that's what, that's what was going on here. There, this new movement is starting and it's starting basically on the front doorstep of the temple. They are bold and they are growing. It says multitudes like they'd never seen up to then, right? Uh, multitudes of people were coming. It says, and more and more, and more than ever, it says, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So we see this early church momentum. It's really growing. It's flourishing. It's becoming a movement. And what do we see next? We see resistance to the early church. Now, I don't, maybe I'm too big of a nerd, and maybe you guys don't geek out about Scripture the same way I do, but in this passage we see Base, the four basic types of resistance that I think every Christian may or may not encounter, but the four types of re resistance that are prevalent on the earth in this text. All four. So let's talk about it. Again, the problem is, the problem is, is that they, these two groups, the apostles and the council or the Sanhedrin, whatever you want to say, they have two distinctly different understandings of who God is and more importantly, who Jesus is. To the apostles, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world who died on the cross to pay for our sins. To the Sanhedrin, he was an apostate and needed to be killed, and we killed him. Very different understandings of what God was doing. So, what are, the, what are the types we see? First of all, we see aggressive resistance. Aggressive resistance. Verse 18 says, They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. 
what they were doing in, in the minds of the Sanhedrin, what they were doing was so bad, we're going to stop them immediately by arresting them, by taking them into custody and putting them in prison. We've got to stop what they're doing. We've got to stop it right now. Boom, arrested. Boom, in prison. And that's generally how things work today. If someone is doing something so egregious, so, you know, go back to the traffic stop example. Again, this is hypothetical. In the traffic stop example, if, if you're speeding and you're going 10 or 15 miles over the speed limit and the officer stops you, they write you a ticket. They say, carry on with what you're doing, just do it more carefully. It's reasonable. But if you're swerving all over the road, driving at excessive speed, and it's, it's determined that you're intoxicated, you have to come with us now. You're dangerous to society. We're arresting you. Like you, you have to be off the road, and you have to be off the road now. This is what they're doing. They arrested, they arrested the disciples. The next thing that we see is non-aggressive. Non-aggressive. Okay, so they get arrested. They go to prison. And the angel of the Lord shows up and lets them out of a locked, guarded prison in, in ways that the guards don't see what's going on. Do you ever, do you ever think about that? How did that happen? Was the angel allowed, allowed to make them like pass through walls, or did they just do the Jedi mind trick thing? Like, you see nothing here. And the, the guard, we see nothing, and they just walk them out. You know, I don't know. But, uh, but after all that went down, in verse 26, after the Sanhedrin realized that the people, these apostles, are back in the temple preaching again, unbeknownst to them, Look at what it says. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. Why? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Oh, you, if you don't see analogies to this today, when somebody is doing something that the authorities find wrong, but they've gained such a following by the people, oftentimes the authorities will go, and instead of arresting them or making a big public scene, they'll say, excuse me, we have a few questions. Would you please come answer these questions, the, they would love to see you if you could just spare a few moments of your time. Very polite, right? And so I find it interesting, their approach to do this. And I also find it interesting that the apostles actually went. Why not stay in Solomon's portico and continue ministering, continuing having fruit and healing people? They... I, I, in this text, I have to consistently take us back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Keep going back to Acts 1, 8. Why are they there? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the city they're in, in Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem, in Samaria, which is the region adjacent to Judea and to the ends of the earth, meaning the rest of the world. These guys were completely focused on the mission, the mission, the mission. We're here to be witnesses. We're here to be witnesses. And so they must have concluded, the apostles did, they must have concluded that for them to be the best witness at that particular time, yes, let's go talk to the Sanhedrin. I know it's odd, but in that, in that moment, they made that decision and they went. Perhaps they thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could reason with these folks and, and the Lord would open their hearts and, and uh, perhaps we could get these religious leaders to get on board with what Jesus has done and then you know, we could really get going here. Who knows? But they were summoned and they went. 
non-aggressive. Now I want to take a side, I want to take a side for just a minute. Folks, in this world that we're living in right now, I want to just advise you to be very wise. Be shrewd with how once in a while you might get invited to make a statement or or to give an interview or something related to your faith, right? And I just want to advise you to be careful. To be careful. I was recently asked by a major by, by a, a regional publication to make a comment on something related to the library. It was a decision I didn't make. I didn't have any hand in the decision, but they wanted my public comment. But I knew that this particular publication, can I just say this, can, can I just say this truthfully, is not all that friendly to our position. And sometimes the things that I would read in that publication made, my, made me scratch my head as to if, if they're being objective or not. So I said, no, thank you. I would not like to comment. Here's why I say that. If I'm going to make a public statement about my faith in a, in a newspaper or in a podcast or something like this, here's the deal that I would have with the other person. Whatever I write, publish it in its entirety. Whatever I say, whatever interview I give, don't chop it up into small segments. Don't edit it to your liking. Just publish it in its entirety, and I'm with you. But so often today in, in our world, people make their bones off of taking uh, interviews and chopping them up and making it sound like somebody said something they didn't really say or mean. You know what I'm saying? That manipulation happens all the time. We have to be wise. So when somebody extends to you a, an invitation, come, speak, for our major, speak to our major publication, speak to our major thing, we'll record it and we'll publish it. Are you going to publish the whole thing or are you going to edit it? Well, we'll probably do some light editing, you know, it won't change the content. No, thank you. If you want my statement, you'll publish it in its entirety. Thank you. No, thank you. So just be aware of that, right? That's, that's actually going on. We need to be wise in this world. We need to witness, but we need to be wise. The next thing we see is violent resistance. Violent resistance. Look at verse uh, 40. Look at verse 40. Uh, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Now, listen. I don't know how any any. I don't have any idea of how. I have. I don't have a vivid idea of how the Sanhedrin worked back then. But did they have like a level one beating, a level two beating, and a real bad beating, level three? I don't know. Hey, give these guys a level two beating and get them out of here, and then the goons would go and rough them up. A bit. I don't know. But what the text says is they gave them a beating. They physically punched, kicked, I don't know what they did to them, whipped, hit these guys before letting them go. Why? They wanted to send a very clear message. The next time you feel like going into the temple and opening your mouth and saying what you've been saying and doing what you've been doing, remember that pain that, that we inflicted on you. Don't do that again. That'll teach you. Now, that... This form of resistance may not be as prevalent in, in the United States right now, but as we read missionary reports from around the world, it's happening. Our Christian brothers and sisters in especially uh, Islamic areas of the world, when, if, they, if, if our brothers and sisters in, in Christ from those countries who have converted to Christianity are found out by their family or their community, oftentimes physical violence comes along with it. So we need to pray for them. 
But it's one form. It may happen. And then the last thing we see is passive. Passive resistance. Let me read to the end of the text. When they... This is verse 33. Chapter 5, verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged. Let me go back. I'm sorry. Let me go back to verse 27. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered. Now, this is what Pastor Brad was alluding to. Uh, when I was in seminary, my, my, preaching, uh, my preaching professor, homiletics it's called, my homiletics professor uh, instructed us, he said, be ready with like your elevator speech version of the gospel, you know, 30 seconds or a minute, your, your sit down, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes version of presenting the gospel, and then, hey, I want to have coffee. Let's spend hours walking through the gospel. Have all those ready because you're going to need those at, at various points in your life. Here, Peter's going to give his elevator pitch version. At least that's what's recorded. Peter and the apostles are going to give their brief version, and boy, is it oozing with wonderful theology. But Peter and the apostles answered, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee of the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Hey guys, can we have the room? And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care with what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, oh, Gamaliel is so wise. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from how, and from house to house, they did not cease in teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What is passive resistance? Passive resistance is what the apostles or what the, the council did under Gamaliel's instruction. He said, let him go. This is probably just an upstart movement. We've seen these before. This Judas guy, this Theudas guy, we've seen these before. Just let him go. If this, is, if this thing is of man, it'll, it'll fade. But if not, 
We won't be able to stop it, and we might be opposing God. Gamaliel was a wise man. So they took a wait and see. Basically, let's ignore them. And, and folks, can I just say, isn't that what we see going on oftentimes in the world today when Christians speak, when, when Christians go to express their opinion or to, to proclaim the Christ, we're ignored. We're deplatformed on social media. We're, we're shadow banned on social media. And uh, our opinion is relegated to, eh, let's just ignore it. Now, these are all the different forms of resistance that we see going on in this passage. But what's the final main point we see is this. The early church's perseverance. The early church perseverance. How did they persevere? Well, a couple of different ways. One is through God's power. Now, listen. Again, this is a time of transition in the book of Acts. A transition from the old ways, the old covenant, the Old Testament, to the church, the new ways, the new covenant. And in this time, there's signs and wonders going on to both judge Israel and validate the apostles. And so while we read in here about this angel of the Lord that's miraculously getting these guys out of prison and charging them to go back to the temple to speak through locked doors and posted guards, though we may not see God work that way today, God, I assure you, is still at work positioning you next to co-workers who don't know the Lord, putting you in family situations with people, extended family perhaps, that don't know the Lord, giving you an opportunity to stay on your mission of being His witnesses. So don't ever think that God isn't at work. He is. He is. The question is, are you going to follow through and do your part to be a witness? The other thing that we see is through the witness of the apostles, right? First of all, they witnessed in word. They witnessed in word. They're standing in the council. They've already been arrested. They've been supernaturally released from prison. They're back. Then they've been requested to come back to the council. And and Peter gives his elevator speech version, kicking it all off with, we must obey God rather than men. And then he gives them the gospel. Forgiveness of sin in Israel. My mind goes back uh, not only to this, uh, you know, we must obey God rather than men, but back to the previous chapter where Peter and John made this brilliant statement, brilliant statement. I can't stop thinking about these two verses where Peter and John said to the folks that were trying to stop them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. In other words, they're saying, look, our job given to us by God is to be his witnesses. You're some sort of civil magistrate or authority And whether you think we should stop listening to God and start listening to you, that's your responsibility to judge. If you're really going to put us in prison, if you're really going to stop us or use force against us, that's up for you to to decide. We are going to do what what God has said. You must judge, for we cannot help but to speak of what we have seen and heard. There is a lot of wisdom in those words, folks. A lot of wisdom. So they ministered in word. They also ministered in action. In action. They witnessed in action. Again, I challenge each one of you and myself today, we all get rounded up and thrown into jail for being at this church and somehow we're released. Maybe we get bonded out or something. I, you know, somebody bails us out. We get released. Are we, showing, are we all showing up back up next Sunday? But look at what these guys did. They did, they took action. 
They continued to witness in the temple even after being jailed and tried and threatened and beaten. Right? Because at the very end of the text it says, from house to house, day after day, they continued. They didn't just mouth the words. They took the action. Folks, uh, we're living in a time that I could not have imagined as a child where we're going to face threats. Stop saying these things, you're going to lose your job. Stop saying these things or we're going to put you into a lawsuit. Your opinions might be marginalized. You can't say what you you need to say. You you may even be called names. You may be called a hater for, for being a follower of Jesus Christ. To which I would just say, boy, if I'm a hater, then you're telling me that the message of hate that I carry with me is this. That though God made us and He created everything very good, mankind chose to sin against God. We chose to rebel against a good and glorious God. And that God loved us and, and, and has shown so much mercy to us that He actually sent His Son to this earth to die for people that don't deserve it. And not for just a certain subset of people, for everyone. That He sent His Son to die so that anyone, anyone, and when I say anyone, I'm talking about it doesn't matter if you've got in your rearview mirror murder. It doesn't matter if you have in your rearview mirror or, or it doesn't matter what sin you've committed. That anyone who trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, who turns away from their sin and turns towards Christ, will be saved and spend eternity with God free from this sinful world. If that is a message of hate, because God in His Word has given us instructions about our, our, this good and loving God who has sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sins simply has given us some instructions about what is a good way to live and what is an evil way to live and, and encourages us to live His way, that we're haters? Impossible. God is love. They also witnessed, they also persevered in attitude, in attitude. Look at verse 41. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now remember, and we've been talking about this, the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It just doesn't mean something that was said. It means everything Jesus stands for, everything that he's taught, everything that it means to, to know Jesus and be part of what he's about That's the name of Jesus. And I'm picturing in my mind that as they left the presence of the council, there was a lot of this. Yes! Yes! I mean, they're beaten up. They're bloodied up a little bit, right? And they're leaving. They're going, I can't believe that we had the opportunity to suffer dishonor for Jesus, the one that's paid it all for us. So they persevered in word, in their witness, through their word, their action, and their attitude. Oh, that we as a church today would have some modicum, some, some hint, some aroma of this kind of faith. Amen? We could change the world. God could change the world through us. 
Okay, the big question today was this. How does Acts 5, 12 through 42 help us to understand how we as Christians should relate to people in authority? Here's the answer. This passage reminds Christians to remain on mission. Why are we here? To make money? To build a great big family? Those are all part of the things that we do here. Why we're here is to be witnesses, to make disciples. If that weren't the case, then the, the moment that we trusted Jesus as our Savior, I mean, you know your pastor's name is Scott, right? I mean, you could have just been beam me up Scotty, you know? Just, oh, you just got saved? Uh, transfor- transporter room, take me to heaven. No, we're here for a purpose, and that purpose is to be His witnesses on the earth. We are to be on mission by trusting God and continuing to witness in the face of all types of resistance. And boy, is it coming today. Now, perhaps the Lord's already got a hold of your heart and and taught you some things that you need to work on. Great, then just go to sleep for a minute. Uh, But if not, here's some possible things to think about, possible applications. Number one is just to be prepared for this resistance, right? It's coming. Whether it's aggressive, non-aggressive, violent, or passive, these kinds of things are are the tools that the evil one uses to resist God and his people. So just be ready. I think of 1 Peter 3.13 and following. I'll just read it out to you. 1 Peter 3.13 and following. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, this is an important yet, do it with gentleness and respect. I've seen a lot of Christians ruin their testimony because they they failed to follow those two things, gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Be prepared for every kind of resistance. Secondly, build your trust in God. How can you do that? Well, here's my suggestion to you. Uh, Read the times in Scripture. Read about the times in Scripture where the people thought that God was giving them an impossible task, and yet He empowered to do that impossible task. Read about the walls of Jericho, right? Uh, Read about uh, the the promised land, the the Israelites going into the promised land thinking, this is an impossible task. And yet God allowed them to do it. Read about Esther. Esther was given an impossible task. She trusted the Lord and God used her. You might also read Christian biographies by people that we know have have been powerful witnesses, even in the face of Death, Luther, Bonhoeffer, Amy Carmichael, on and on. And then put it into practice in your life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Third, practice boldness. Practice boldness. Uh, I, would, I would advise you to memorize Acts 5.29. Just We must obey God rather than men. There it is. You just memorized it. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And then Acts 4, 19 and 20. 
is a little bit longer, but those words put into your, your own personal language would serve you well when someone comes along to you and says, you can't say this anymore. You need to stop talking about your faith, the Lord, or else. We must obey God. I must obey God rather than you. Let's go back mentally just for a moment to that traffic stop. The right thing to do is for that officer, knowing that his, this new career that he's so excited about, to be a law enforcement officer, though he's a brand new person, a rookie on the job, though the temptation is strong just to say, have a good night, sir, be careful. And let that intoxicated hypothetical mayor go on his way, perhaps to safety or perhaps to kill someone with his vehicle, the right thing for that officer to do is to say, sir, step out of the car, you're under arrest, knowing that it could cost him his job. His career in law enforcement could be over that minute. But he will have earned the respect of his community and the people that know him. Folks, it's hard to do the right thing. It's hard to be a witness, and it's getting harder to be a witness in this environment. But with gentleness and respect and boldness, that's exactly what we're called to do. So, Father, help us as we carry the name of Jesus with us, the Christ, the Messiah, the only one who can save us from our sins. Father, we pray for opportunities to share the good news of your son Jesus. We ask for boldness when we have those opportunities, strength and wisdom to know when to speak and what words to use. Father, I pray that you would help us to always be reminded that this is why we're here. This is our mission on this earth. And Father, we know that you are mighty and you're at work and you will go before us opening hearts and minds so that when we open our feeble mouths and utter words that are imperfect, that you will use them in a mighty way. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be a part of this ministry, the ministry of your word and to witness with our lives. It's a tremendous Tremendous, tremendous privilege. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.